0: How prevalent are these uh, hazing type of incidents in Canada? Because since the whole St. Mike story has broken out, we've been hearing from a number of alumni who have been speaking out about the culture, so it's not new. Some who have told us that they dreamed of going to the school, found it very toxic, and then ended up leaving because the experience was not a positive one. That does not mean everyone's gonna have a bad experience. It's just some do, and it's not just private schools. I think that's important. This is not just private schools. We know that these incidents happen at universities, and yes, they happen in public schools. But a lot of you know these kinds of brute force, um, embarrassing types of pranks are looked at, especially in sports type schools as a rite of passage. And we've read the headlines, the uh, you know the Penn State hazing case, which involved a 19 year old basically forced to drink so much that they died. We just had a report in September of a hazing incident at Laurentian University involving the men's soccer team now accused of hanging up rookies, blindfolding them, forcing them to drink and then cut with a knife in a kind of like a blood brother ceremony. Some reported gropings. And, you know, despite all the education, despite all the messaging that we have heard on this, that it's wrong, it doesn't seem to be sinking in. And at best in this country, we have a patchwork of laws when it comes to these hazing type uh, incidents. My next guest is an associate professor of kinesiology at the University of Manitoba with a particular interest in examining hazing in Canadian schools. He also wrote a book, co-wrote a book called Making the Team Inside the World of Sport Initiations and Hazings. Dr. J Johnson, he joins me now. Dr. Johnson, what was, I mean, given your background looking into these kinds of things, what was your, uh, your gut reaction when you heard about what happened at St. Mike's in Toronto? Uh,
1: honestly, it was here we go again. Uh, I've been researching the topic of hazing, particularly in the uh, arena of sport, for about 22 years now. And uh, what I can say is that I've heard this narrative before. I've heard the stories before. Uh, I've done countless studies. I've spoken to countless student-athletes athletic directors, coaches, uh, and so many of them share similar stories of sexualized hazing.
0: What is it about, you know, the progression of it? I mean, I get what happens when you get a mob mentality. This particular alleged incident was said to have happened Wednesday. There had been a football game. You know, the adrenaline's going. But what takes it from, you know, shaving a head or taking off someone's eyebrow to stripping them down and, you know, taking it to the level that this went?
1: Well, in a couple of cases, uh, sorry, a couple couple reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first being that there's probably a longstanding tradition of, you know, a similar type of activity being passed on from generation to generation. If you think of it as a cycle, uh, the first year athlete or the first year student is being initiated. Like
0: the minor niner. Yeah. E- exactly. To, to become a member,
1: right? Everyone wants to belong uh, to a group, to the community, uh, to a sports team. So once you're in, then the role, the identity you get to assume is on the other side is the one who does the initiation. So it creates this cycle and that's generally passed down. There's probably a lot of alumni at St. Mike's that are uh, thanking their lucky stars right now that, you know, there wasn't as much oversight and uh, public condemnation as what we're seeing now. Mm because I'm sure similar things have been going on there for quite some time.
0: Well, we have heard from a number of alumni who have come forward and said, well, hold on a second, this was my dream school, but when I got there, this was a reality for a lot of students, and, and some have explained their situation as being a nightmare, and it ultimately ended their, their tenure at this particular school. So it's not like it's never been heard about, but the school officials who have finally started talking to the media you know, have been asked about this. You know, is this the culture of the school? And they're quick to say, no, 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 this is, this is a first. But I have a very hard time looking and hearing about the facts of the particular videos that are described and thinking, okay, if this is a first time, they took it to a pretty extreme level. Can you can you start something out like this or take me through hazing, how it can escalate so quickly to this level?
1: Sure. Well, I certainly agree with you. There's a, a longstanding history of hazing going on in particular realms like universities. So you can go back to the 13th century and it's actually the students that were hazing the uh, the professors back then. But take it, you know, fast forward, uh, Navy, military, paramilitary organizations, sport, obviously.
0: RCMP, and yeah.
1: RCMP um, and also private schools. Yeah. You know, there's a long history of the first year students having to be subservient or being hazed in some way uh, as part of their entry ritual into that school. And that goes back probably for centuries so this is nothing new you're right the uh, administrators that are there were probably a part of that culture as well and went through the same types of things so to a certain extent uh you know they are bystanders that that probably think that this is okay because the the behavior has been normalized because it's been going on and they've seen it go on and it happened to them so it becomes normalized behavior But we as outsiders who didn't have it happen to us can kind of look on with disgust and and awe and say, this is completely wrong, you know, but it's a disconnect because they don't see it through that same lens. So it continues to be perpetuated and perpetuated and nothing really comes to, to the surface until, you know, one person sort of brings it forward or a parent brings it forward and the media catch on to it. And, you know, over the two decades I've been, involved in, in, in this study and research, you know, I've been getting these calls every fall, mm-hmm. because it, it pops up in one form or another, there's a moral panic, and then it goes underground again, you know, and, and we, we don't really address what we need to be addressing, which is changing the culture of those traditions. To something that's more positive and inclusive and I believe that's actually possible.
0: Yeah I mean in this case it was a videotape that surfaced and it was the parent that brought it to uh, uh, you know the global's attention. Can you look into this and that's when the phone call started. I don't think this would have necessarily come to surface had it not been for the fact that it started to go around the internet and people started to talk about it otherwise it could have very well stayed you know underground and part of just the chatter of the school and I'm not looking to pick on private schools I went to one as a kid it a good school, uh, but is there a difference um, in private schools versus, let's say, uh, the public system?
1: Well, there's a couple things there too. You know, you mentioned minor niners, right? And, and uh, I'm 49 years old, so I, I was in high school in the 80s, yeah. and we had uh, great night initiations back then.
0: But th- we so did there's... too. But it was in a public school,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I went to a public school, and, and th- this this the history extends to public schools mm-hmm. as well because the traditions are so strong and powerful. And I really do believe that we've seen some change uh in schools, public and private, but private tends to be a little bit more c- closed right. and we don't get to hear as much and We're living in what I call the Facebook era, right where students uh who grew up in a technological age are much more prone to post things that are you know when it becomes public are very damaging to them. It's very private and personal, but they don't understand those boundaries because they've been so conditioned that that's normal behavior too, right? That it's kind of in a closed loop. But now we're seeing um, when the time comes that they're looking for, for jobs and occupations, that those employers are going to their social media pages and dredging up some of these images and stories from the past. And in some cases, it's being used against them. It's being used against celebrities too. You know, maybe they sent a racist tweet mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago. Now it's coming to surface and it's coming back to haunt them as well as as it probably should.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, this is not a new conversation. Uh, Penn State, like we've heard a lot about this in the big American universities, but it was just last month uh, at Laurentian that there was a a very kind of uh, obscene men's soccer team that was accused of, I guess, hanging rookies up, uh, blindfolding them, forcing them to drink a whole bunch, cutting them and and blood kind of uh, brotherhood initiations taking place. That was just last month. In 2018, after, you know, we had the Retea Parsons case brought to light and all the education, are you surprised that we're still hearing about this?
1: If you had asked me six months ago, I I honestly would have said yes. But myself and some colleagues, including Dr. March Holman, uh, who I've been doing research with for 20 years as well, we just completed a nationwide study looking at hazing in university settings, so all varsity sports both men and women's teams and what we found uh, on one of the the surveys was that 66 percent of the student athletes reported that they're still hazing in some form on their teams and that did surprise me I expected a much lower response because at least anecdotally and uh, from what we've seen in the media it seemed like it was on the decline but there still seems to be you know the pervasive culture of hazing people onto teams or or onto you know in, in, into different communities like a mm-hmm. school. The other finding that came out of that study was that student athletes in high school were coming into university expecting to be hazed. Right. So that's really where I think we have to kind of mind backwards, you know, to really kind of change the culture of, of hazing. Because if you're expecting to, then chances are good that you've been through it already. If you're a junior hockey player, you've probably yeah. been hazed at least two or three times. hmm by the time you're 18 and coming into university. Uh, and, and it crosses gender too. Like sure. both men and women, boys and girls are experiencing this. So we need to address it and, and just get rid of this idea that we're looking at isolated incidents. It's pervasive in all of these different.
0: Arenas. In the case of St. Mike's, the the cops, and it wasn't a usual press conference. They marched out some of the the, the most senior, um, you know, deputies in the Toronto Police because it's just that serious of a case. And there's up to fifty witnesses. And I wonder at what point, uh, Doctor, do those who get involved in this? So, what about the guys that are hanging around cheering it on? At what point don't they realize? we're breaking the law here. We've crossed a line. Like, does that thinking not enter the brain at all before or after to say, okay, guys, this went too far. We've got to either report this or, you know, we can't, like, does no one ever stop to think we're doing something wrong?
1: Right. Well, I think it it uh, it's part of the spectacle, right? And And it goes back to something that I mentioned before. I'm speculating, but I'm I'm, I'm guessing that those 50 witnesses were part of the the two teams that were involved. Mm -hmm. So they were athletes. uh, And this is part of, you know, their culture of that team. So it's most likely something that they had done to them when they were the first year athletes. And it's something that they were now a part of. They were completing that loop. So this is what's expected to be on their team or to be in that school. So again, it becomes normalized behavior. You know, they don't see it through that lens of, hey, wait, this is kind of problematic, you know? Mm -hmm. You can actually connect it to, there was a case in 2005 that, uh, and Darcy McEwen has come forward now, so I'm not revealing his name. He he revealed it himself. But he came forward, he was a McGill Redman. He was a rookie in his first year. And uh, what happened during his hazing event was very similar to some of the details that we're getting here that involved a broom handle Mm -hmm. and sodomizing players. So what happened, he ended up leaving the team because he was ostracized. And, uh, you know, the team lost the rest of its season, which I think was three games. They were losing. They were one and five at that point. So they were losing the season anyways. And then that was the end of it, you know. And we've had other incidents uh, surface at McGill again since that time. And nothing has really changed. The thing that has changed is that now we do see those criminal charges being laid where in Darcy's case, he was kind of hung out to dry. He was the one that had to remove himself from the situation because he was seen as the, the, the issue. The
0: troublemaker, yeah.
1: The problem, yeah, the whistleblower. And quite often whistleblowers are treated that way and they end up being ostracized, but it can lead towards change, which is important. Yeah. In this, in this case, I think what's happened again, I'm speculating, but St. Mike's, uh, the tuition's, what, close to $20,000 a year? Mm-hmm. So those parents are probably in powerful and prominent positions. And I'm sure there's been a lot of pressure that's been put on both the police force and the school to follow this through and see it. Again, okay. this is speculation, but it seemed like there was a lag in time from when
0: yeah. the
1: principal thought that he had handled it by expelling, uh, I believe it was eight students at the time, which is a pretty severe yeah, penalty. Yeah, four.
0: Yeah. But the, but the bottom line is he was legally required to go to the police And he did not. So the question I think then becomes: Is Saint Mike's in 2018? Is this the case that finally uh, brings the change that should have happened decades ago? Because these kids are facing serious charges. There is going to be serious jail time if, in fact, they're uh, convicted, and they could very well find themselves uh, being sentenced as adults. This is not going away. So is this the case that brings change?
1: I believe so. You know, we're we're seeing that with the hashtag Me Too movement, right? Where you kind of get one pretty pretty uh, brutal uh, expose, and it kind of opens the floodgates for other people to feel empowered to come forward and say, you know what, Mm -hmm. I was abused as well. And I think we probably will hear about some more stories. We might not hear them in the media, but I think people will start to talk about it more. And I think this might be a pivotal period of time and incident where we do see sort of that that change, uh, particularly in the public discourse. Whether or not we see convictions, uh, you know, is, is something yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. But I think just the fact that charges have been laid, you know, in the span of from 2005, 13 years ago, uh, is progress. Yeah. You know, it needs to happen.
0: Thank you so much. My pleasure. And that is Dr. Jay Johnson. We'll see where this goes. And um, we'll keep in touch with him because I think this case is going to be one of those that goes in ebbs and flows here and there. We'll see what happens. This is Global News Radio.